always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky broadband and lightning fast speeds. See sky.ie for more. This week, Britain learned the damning results of an investigation into illegal gatherings in the home of Prime Minister Boris Johnson during the course of the pandemic. The details are stark. Alcohol-fuelled parties until the early hours. Sickness, brawling, karaoke and cleaners forced to mop up the splashed wine. The Sue Gray report, named after the civil servant who led the investigation, paints a picture of wild partying while the rest of the country was in lockdown. His political enemies are calling for him to resign. We now know he attended events on the 17th of December. But Boris Johnson is hanging on. I take full responsibility for everything that took place on my watch. I'm Connor Pope and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, where does Partygate leave Boris Johnson and British politics? Dennis Staunton is the Irish Times London editor. Dennis, during multiple lockdowns, UK officials had office parties at which they drank so much they were sick, they sang karaoke, they had fist fights and they abused security and cleaning staff. Just how shocking were the revelations contained in Sue Gray's report? Well, most of the events in Sue Gray's report were already known to the public, uh, either through media reports or various other means. So in, in some ways, there wasn't all that much brand new information in them. But what was, I think, shocking was the detail. And it was these details like the fact that, say, at one of the parties in uh, June of 2020, when the country was under lockdown, that uh, this party went on so long and was so raucous that somebody got sick, that there was an altercation in the garden that various security staff would come and try to shoot people out of the building. There was the fact that it was quite clear they knew what they were doing was wrong because they went to various sort of steps to kind of avoid uh, it being seen in public. So sometimes, uh, for example, one of the parties, a garden party, was going on. It was starting while there was a press conference in Downing Street telling people to abide by the coronavirus rules. And so they were saying, so keep the noise down until such time as the press conference is over. And also, by the way, and these are all emails and WhatsApp messages. And uh, you know, also, you know, there might be cameras uh, coming and going outside for a while, so be careful. Late at night, they would leave by the back door rather than by the front. And then at one stage, uh, Boris Johnson's uh, principal private secretary, a guy called Martin Reynolds, who seemed to be spending most of his time organizing parties, uh, he had invited 200 people to this party in the garden, bring your own booze, he said. And then later he said, we, we seem to have got away with that. The other detail that I think really did give it flavour of the atmosphere in there was the fact that Sue Gray said she'd had multiple reports of staff being rude and treating with disrespect security staff and cleaners. Cleaners would come in in the morning and they'd find red wine spilled all over the walls and on photocopy paper and there were apparently bins overflowing with bottles and all this stuff. So, so these people had to come in and clean up after all of this. So there was a picture of this really pretty privileged group of people uh, who were living in uh, in a kind of a bubble. They were making these rules, but they were living uh, a life that was nothing like the life that most people in the country were living. Apart from detailing what happened over the course of the lockdowns uh, during the pandemic, did Sue Gray reach any conclusions? Did she decide or did she declare who was ultimately responsible for these many and flagrant breaches of the rules? 
She named a number of officials who were involved, uh, senior officials. At the end, she said that it was quite clear, regardless of what the intention was, regardless of what the atmosphere was, that rules were broken. She had already produced this kind of interim report a couple of months ago, which she then paused because the Metropolitan Police were investigating these parties. And so during that, she had made various recommendations as to how Downing Street should be reorganised, so there should be better accountability mechanisms, so that, say, junior staff could express concerns more easily. And so uh, Boris Johnson, part of his defence was that he had put these changes into place. Number 10 now has its own permanent secretary, charged with applying the highest standards of governance. There are now easier ways for staff to voice any worries, and Sue welcomes that, Sue Gray welcomes that, and I quote, steps have since been taken to introduce more easily accessible means by which to raise concerns electronically, in person or online, including directly with the permanent secretary. The entire senior management has changed. There is a new... So in the end, the conclusions of the report were, in a way, a little bit weak in the sense that uh, she concluded that, you know, law rules were broken. But we kind of knew that already because the Metropolitan Police have fined 83 people. And so it was, uh, apparently there is no address in uh, the United Kingdom that has had more fines for lockdown rule breaking than Number 10 Downing Street. I mean, I'm laughing now, but it is absurd that something like that could happen. At the highest level in the UK, isn't it? Yeah. Now, what Boris Johnson says is that you must understand these people, they were working under incredible pressure. It was such a difficult time when he, for example, he was only fined for one uh, of these breaches, which was when he uh, had a birthday cake. Somebody presented him with a birthday cake and there was a brief uh, birthday celebration of some kind in the middle of the day. But he was present at a number of other occasions. So these leaving parties for uh, people who were leaving down Street in the middle of lockdown. And so he would come at the beginning and make a speech and maybe have a drink and slope off. And the rest of them would then carry on and have this sort of bacchanalian mm-hmm. sort of revel into the early hours of the morning. And he was saying, well, this is just what leadership is. You know, you, ha- you thank your staff. And it was, you know, you really must understand these people were, you know, I have the utmost respect for these people. They were working very hard. Now, of course, the obvious answer to that is, what about all the people in the health service or the people collecting mm. bins or the people who were doing all kinds of other jobs that they had to carry on doing during lockdown under perhaps more pressure because, for example, people in hospital were watching people dying and yet they didn't have mm. parties. I've never so far heard, and I know a lot of people who work in the National Health Service, I've never heard about one of them having a going away party or having any kind of celebration during this whole period. So that, I think, is where he, Boris Johnson, sounds as if he's living in a different world to the rest of the people. Mm. Now, actually, speaking of Boris, I am humbled. Mr. Speaker, I I am humbled and I have learned a a lesson. And I have learned a lesson. That's what Boris Johnson said after the full report was published this week. Did that ring true for anyone? I mean, it's not the first time that Boris Johnson says he has learned a lesson, is it? Well, the fact that he said he was humbled uh, and that then just like within about a minute, he was teasing the leader of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer, and calling him Sir Beer Korma. Sir Beer Korma, Mr. Speaker. Because Keir Starmer was photographed having a beer and... uh, chicken korma or something uh, in Durham, uh, suggests that the humility didn't last all that long. He is himself under investigation by 
by the police. But by the police. Insofar as he's learned a lesson, mm. it seems to me that the lesson that Boris Johnson learned very early in life is that he could get away with things. And he could get away with things that most other people can't get away with if he brazens it out enough and if he waits for something to turn up. And that's what seems so far to have happened. He's the first prime minister to have been found to have broken the law while in office. And, uh, mm. you know, that again, most people would have thought, you know, that's going to finish him definitely. But the only people who can finish him off are the Conservative MPs. And so far, they have not chosen to do so. We'll come to that in a moment. But during the pandemic, in the early days of the pandemic, it seems like a long time ago now, we had Golfgate and a bunch of politicians and high ranking civil servants and the like went to Clifton and they played a game of golf. Now, that enraged the public and it quickly led to the resignation of government ministers and EU commissioners. People had contracts cancelled and there was even a lengthy trial. Compared to Golfgate, the parties in the corridors of power in London seem like the last days of the Roman Empire. How have the British public reacted to the latest revelations and how angry are they? Because I would imagine that if they'd happened in this country, we would have been fuming. The public has been very angry and part of the problem for uh, Boris Johnson and for Downing Street is that when you look at any of these dates, you know, if it's, you know, June the 20th, 2020 or November the 13th, 2020, there are so many people in Britain who can remember the situation they were in on that day. And while for many of us, you know, lockdown was something that we were able to get through without too much difficulty, there were an awful lot of people who uh, had to make huge sacrifices in terms of not being able to see people, including people who were dying, people who felt that maybe their loved ones had a lonelier time towards the end of their lives than they might have been otherwise. And they didn't uh, go and see them because they were abiding by the rules. And so every time these stories come up, it triggers these very, very painful memories a lot of people. And if you talk to conservative MPs, really hard-bitten MPs who've been around for a long time and are used to the uh, anger of the public, they will say that they've never seen letters or had a kind of a, a reaction like they've had to this. And you see that in opinion polling, Boris Johnson's personal approval ratings have gone way down and they're way below where the Conservative Party is. The Conservative Party is below Labour. It's a, you know, somewhere uh, between five and ten points below Labour, generally in the, in the polls. And he's consistently far below that. And if mm. you talk to pollsters, they say this is the kind of recovery or this is the kind of level you don't tend to recover from as a politician. Because politicians, prime ministers, they get more unpopular as they go on. He, despite his kind of vote-winning properties, was never all that popular. So when he became prime minister, he was actually not as popular, say, as someone even like Theresa May was when she became prime minister. And so he was starting from a lower base and he's gone downwards. And so the question that all these uh, conservative MPs have to ask themselves is, to what extent is he dragging them down? And what's the answer to that question? I mean, one of the reasons why they've stuck by him for so long was because they perceived him to be the winner because he won the last election at a canter, really. What do the MPs, the rank and file MPs, perceive him to be now? I think one of the most telling things about what happened in Parliament this week and on all of the occasions recently where Boris Johnson has had to come and make his apologies is not so much the number of people who have stood up to say that he should go, but how few people stood up to say that they supported him. Mm. Almost everybody just stayed silent and say on Wednesday when he came in to make his statement and these things, you know, he may, they make a statement and then they take questions for about an hour. 
After about 20 minutes, most of the Conservative MPs had gone. They'd left mm. the chamber. And by the end of it, there were no Conservatives left who wanted to speak in the debate. So the Speaker have to, had to kept keep calling opposition MPs to speak. And so uh, what you find is that the Conservative MPs are waiting. They're biding their time. And they're trying to work out what to do. And for some of them, they're thinking, we're going to lose anyway. And maybe this guy, because he's just not like other people, he's not like a normal politician. He's kind of like Donald Trump. He's like a celebrity first Mm. and a politician second. So the public engages with him in a different way. Maybe if we replace him with a conventional politician, well, we're definitely going to our doom. Whereas he just might do something crazy and, you know, pull the thing out of the fire. Others say down in the south of the country, who think that they could lose their seat to the Liberal Democrats, think, OK, you replace him with a boring, normal politician, and we probably won't win the next election, but I might keep my seat. Yeah. And so you've got two by-elections that are coming up in June. One of them is in Wakefield, a seat that the Conservatives won from Labour in 2019. They hadn't held it for years and years. It'd be, it had been Labour since Tony Blair's time in 1997. And the uh, Conservative MP there has gone to jail for uh, sexually assaulting a minor. And uh, the uh, the other one is in the West Country. And that's a big Conservative majority. And that Conservative MP resigned because he was watching porn in the House of Commons chamber. Now, there's a chance that they will lose both of those. And if they lose both of those, then you really find that MPs from both kinds of types of constituency will start to look and say, if there's a swing like that against me, I'm finished. And so then what do they do? They then have to find, if they get rid of him, who do they put in instead? The Labour leader, Keir Starmer, told the Commons this week that the Grey report laid bare the rot in number 10. And he called on Tory MPs to tell Boris Johnson that the game is up and that it's time to pack his bags. It's not the first time that Keir Starmer has called for Johnson to go. Do these calls make any difference at all in the corridors of power in Westminster or are they simply political theatre? I think they don't persuade many Conservative MPs uh, that they should do one thing or another. In in some ways, uh, you know, when the opposition are calling for a leader to go, that often kind of galvanises the people behind them. I think we've moved beyond that stage. Keir Starmer's position is obviously undermined by the fact that he himself is under investigation by the police in Durham over this incident where he was uh, at a campaign, campaigning during the day, and he and some colleagues uh, in the constituent office, they uh, drank beer and ate a curry. They had a takeaway. And so they're questioning this. The Daily Mail had this on its front page for 13 days, this whole business. And they're trying to suggest there's an equivalence between what Starmer may have done and all of this. I've been clear what leadership looks like. The difference between Starmer and Johnson is that Starmer said, if I am fined, I will resign. I will do the decent thing and step down. The public need to know that not all politicians are the same. But the irony, of course, is that now that Johnson has been fined but hasn't resigned and the Durham police have yet to complete their investigation, you may find that the only person to resign out of this is going to be Keir Starmer. And was that a mistake, Dennis, giving a hostage to fortune like that, do you think, by Starmer? I don't think so. I think that uh, he would have given all the things he had said until now about 
the parties. Uh, if he was fined, he'd have to he'd have to go anyway. So he might as well get a, get out ahead of it. And it gives him at least some way of contrasting his behaviour with that of the prime minister. And I think that you know when it comes to it, you know this is a kind of a long process as you get towards an election. Presenting the Labour Party as being part of it is that he's Labour is under new management that he's kind of this steady figure. He's not Jeremy Corbyn, but he's also not some kind of uh, flash character like uh, Boris Johnson. And that if you want kind of steady, good, solid government, get rid of these people and vote for Labour. That's kind of the message that he's building up. So I think that these calls for, for you know, from Keir Starmer for Boris to go, they don't make much difference. There was another call, though, by uh, from Tobias Elwood. Mr. Speaker, this is a damning report about the absence of leadership focus and discipline in number 10. One on Wednesday, he uh, addressed his remarks to the other Conservative MPs and he said, if, you know, if we don't get rid of this guy, we're going to lose the election and you've just got to make a decision. And he then was heckled by his own people. Can we continue to govern without distraction, given the erosion of the trust with the British people? And can we win the general election on this current trajectory? The Conservative MPs have to look at the menu of options. And they used to look at the menu of options in terms of uh, an alternative. And the first item on the menu was the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, who was everything that Boris Johnson wasn't. He was clean, he was thin, he was rich, uh, he had only one wife, and uh, you know, he seemed to be very fond of her. All of these uh, qualities, and he just seemed to walk on water for a while. But then his wife, who's uh, from a very rich uh, Indian family, it emerged that she had a special tax status, non-dom status, and there was a whole brouhaha about that. And he uh, has now found himself, for the moment, out of the game, so that if there was a uh, leadership contest tomorrow, he probably wouldn't be a contender. And so then the rest of the options, there's something about them that many of the Conservatives wouldn't like. Okay, so it, it does seem that Boris Johnson isn't going to resign as of right now. Do you think that his refusal to resign, despite all the damning evidence of wrongdoing against him, despite the fact that he was the only Prime Minister to have fallen foul of the law while in office. Do you think that lowers the bar for what's acceptable in British politics? Yeah, it does. It's one of the strengths of his position is the fact that he's made clear that he will never resign, that they will have to bulldoze him or dynamite him out of Downing Street, that he's not going to ever do whatever the decent thing is and just go quietly. And so they, so he's putting it up to them to have a fight. I think that this whole uh, government, in fact, and not just uh, the party gate, but the fact that uh, he's been happy to you know, break international law, to, uh, you know, there's so many occasions when he has lied at the dispatch box, where uh, what they say is not true, where just routinely they make announcements about what they're going to do. And the default view is that they're not going to do it, whatever they say they're going to do. That you just It's not just that you think they mightn't, it's that you think that they almost certainly won't. And so you don't believe anything. So in a way, there has been a debasing of the political culture throughout the time that Boris Johnson has been prime minister. And this pushes that process a little bit further along the road. Coming up, bigger problems than parties face the UK. But can Boris Johnson handle them? Never suffer the buffer again. 
Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. Runaway inflation set to soar above 7%, a figure never even seen in a Bank of England forecast before. Inflation is officially at 9%, but for many it feels much higher. Surging food costs could have apocalyptic consequences. All this adding up to the biggest forecast squeeze to household income since records began. We can get inflation under control. It is not some abstract force outside our grasp. You mentioned uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, like Boris Johnson's Chancellor of the Exchequer, who was also fined for attending a party. But yesterday, he announced a major spending plan on measures which are aimed at easing the cost of living crisis in the UK. We are going to provide significant, targeted support to millions of the most vulnerable people in our society. Those on the lowest incomes, pensioners and disabled people. I suppose a cynic might suggest that the timing of that announcement was quite convenient, was it? Yes. The, uh, no, they had to do something because uh, fuel prices and uh, prices generally are going up so much and it is the big issue for people here. But at the same time, it's certainly the idea, I think, would have been uh, you get these this party and Sue Gray report out of the way and then uh, you... Uh, come up with something and you say, right, here we are, we're doing the big things that matter. We're taking care of the war in Ukraine. We're dealing with all of this. And then the MPs go off on a little break uh, later this week and uh, and that, you know, something has happened. And so I think, you know, certainly, you know, that's true. But having said that, there is a big problem in terms of the cost of living. Inflation is high everywhere, but core inflation, which is the inflation rate, if you remove things like fuel and food, food prices. That's higher here than it is in other European countries. And at the same time, what you have here is you've got a social safety net, which is much thinner in Britain than it is elsewhere. So there are more people who just a little change in their circumstance senses can drive them into destitution than you would have, say, in a country like Ireland or in continental European countries. Is it possible that Partygate will ultimately not make much difference to the British electorate and it's the economy that will derail Boris Johnson. Yes, I think what Partygate does and has done is that it has eroded uh, his base of support. So it means that he's in a weaker position where the public is concerned in terms of the confidence of the public when it comes to dealing with things that are going to be very difficult and that would be very, it would be very hard for any government to survive. It looks like this economic crisis that we're already in and that's about to get worse is the kind of economic event that it would be hard for any government to come through with flying colours. The fact that it's a government that people don't trust, that it's a prime minister that two out of three people are opposed to, and that three and four, I think, think ought to resign. The fact that most people think that Boris Johnson should not be prime minister is not the best place for the government to start when it's dealing with very difficult political issues anyway. Mm. 
And I suppose finally, what's happening with Brexit and Boris Johnson? Is that a very pressing issue for his government too? Well, his government has made Brexit a pressing issue again. Part of the thinking within the government is that they can go into the next election shoring a part of their support by saying, we're the only people who can keep Brexit done. So the last time it was get Brexit done, now it's keep Brexit done. And if you put in Keir Starmer or the Liberal Democrats, they'll undo Brexit. And so that's why, for example, keeping the whole row over the Northern Ireland Protocol on the boil is... You know, has a political motivation as well as everything else. So, uh, sometime in the next few weeks, the British government will introduce legislation to unilaterally override the Northern Ireland Protocol. That will be breaking international law, breaking an international treaty, and it will have the happy consequence for Boris Johnson of keeping Brexit in the news and presenting him as the person who's fighting for the hardest possible Brexit. Dennis Staunton, as ever, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. That's it for today. This episode of In the News was produced by Declan Conlon and Jennifer Ryan. We'll be back on Monday.